0: In Philippians 1, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul goes on, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served To advance the gospel he continues in every way whether in pretense or in truth Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice yes I will rejoice for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain if I am to live in the flesh that means fruitful labor for me yet I shall choose what yet which I shall choose I cannot tell I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with, all, with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. He then goes on and says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am, or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And then in chapter 2, Paul writes, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. He goes on, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice in me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard he was ill. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy. He then goes on and says this, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things And the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, John. So look at in that passage, the relationship between Paul and the saints in Philippi. It's clear that he loves them. Really, their growth in the Lord already, how far they've grown, is what has brought, has, what has brought him much joy. And really, it's, uh, in these passages, you can see that he wants further joy. He wants further joy because of their further progress in the faith. That's what he's longing for. That's what he's hoping for. Um, there's this delight. There's this joy in them to the point where he's able to endure imprisonment because of the joy that he has in their maturity. So discipleship for Paul is so much joy that it'll even get you through being in prison, even get you through facing possible death. Our passage today was kind of skipping a bit through the, through the letter, um, but it was to highlight something, to illustrate, to paint for a picture of you this relationship that Paul has with the saints, to show you the discipleship relationship that they have, that there is, there's this mentorship that's happening between Paul and between the saints in Philippi. Um, He clearly loves them. He clearly delights over them, has joy in them, and longs for their growth and is so excited about that. And the sermon today is going to be a little bit different. I'm not going to go verse by verse through that section that we just read. Um, The reason is I don't think I need to convince you um, that we're all supposed to be engaged in discipleship. I don't think that... um, I need to convince you that this is something good, that we should have the same joy in hoping for the growth of others that Paul has. I don't think that that's necessary because I think that you all want that. I think that, um, yeah, we all want that experience, right? We we want those deep relationships. We want want to love people in the same way that Paul loves those saints. Um, So my question then is, then why, why are we not doing it? Why is that not the big hallmark of our life? When somebody looks at you, when I talk about what's going on in my life, that that is the thing, that, that joy, that delight in seeing other people's growth, that that is, that is the thing that is central to it in my life. I think we all get what's going on with Paul. I don't think that that needs a ton of explaining. I think that that picture is a vision that we desire. But something something holds us back. Uh, there's something that keeps us, prevents us from wanting to do that. We're, we're not obedient to that calling. Um, we're typically t- to varying degrees not faithful to, to what's being done here. So why is that? I want to encourage you to pursue to pursue this. Um, I, w- I want you to encourage you to be intimately loving. And serving and longing for the Christ-like growth of those around you. Um, but I also want to dive into thinking through, like, what is stopping us from that? What's holding us back? And the first reason, the first thing that I think is holding us from that, I think is the pain of failure. So I don't know that in their lives and the people that we know in the discipleship that we do that we really expected to be joyous like it was for Paul. You all probably have those relatives who have never walked with the Lord who have fallen away. I certainly do in my life. There's multiple people that I can say, yeah, that was somebody who was really going with God. and They're not now. That's discouraging. It hurts. It's painful. I can continue to pray for those people, but it's, it's hard. It's tough, and thinking of engaging with them and seeking their good is is it hurts like it, it isn't easy. It isn't fun. There's that pain of seeing that this is not this is discouraging. It's not all the, the joy that Paul paints here. Um, maybe for you, it's the opposite. Maybe it's not somebody who you're hoping for their growth and they walk away. Maybe it's somebody who's discipling you. Maybe you have that person in your life that they were investing in you. They were giving to you. They were encouraging you. And then one day they just kind of walked away. They stopped doing it. Um, that can hurt. Like, was I not worth that investment? Was this, did this not matter to you in the way that I thought that it did? Is it not as big of a deal? Like, that's painful to go through. Somebody is there and then they're just gone, moved to another state. They're out of your life. Um, I think that, that that pain that we experience can make us not want to be a part of this, not want to engage. I want to tell you about the time that I was closest to despairing. But I want to tell you that specifically because I want you to hear what God taught me in that moment. Um, this was a time actually where somebody I was discipling uh, took, was doing great, was uh, really incredible growth, and then all of a sudden did one thing and uh, just it was all gone. And I was so frustrated about that that uh, this, I didn't see that that growth in their life could ever continue. That it was They were on a great path. They were just at this point where maybe... If this continued, it could be great. And I felt like that's done. Um, I I worked at a place that was a residential recovery ministry that uh, people live there. and We live there with them. Um, And I want to tell you about this girl named Nikki. So this place was for 16 to 25-year-olds. Nikki was right at the lower end. She was probably 16, maybe 17. Um, And her dad was her life. She did not actually want to come to the place at first because... She didn't want to be separated from her dad. She was afraid that something might happen to him while she was there and she wouldn't be able to take care of him. Um, but she did choose to come beforehand. The other residents would tell me that um, you can never trust her word, whether she was lying or not, unless she told you, unless she swore on her father and she would do that. She would say she would swear on her father and then you knew that what she was saying was the truth, that she, that she meant this. Um, he was a big deal in her life well not too long after she was there we got the call that her dad due to alcoholism had had a heart attack and was in the hospital and we rushed her and got her on a plane to send her out there but before she got there we got the second call that he had had another heart attack while he was in the hospital and he had died and this was devastating on her she was there she was gone for the the funeral the whole day had kind of a long wake that whole process and then she came back but she really began to grow. Like it was, she was at the perfect place to deal with this thing in her life, this, this hurt, this grief. Um, she was surrounded by people that loved her, that were supporting her, that were helping her grow, and she was making real progress and moving along, and it was incredible to watch, and it was so encouraging to see somebody really flipping their life around, walking along. Every time that, they would, that she would tell a lie, seeing the they're like, no, this isn't right, and choosing choosing to go in a different direction with that. Uh, well, the residents there they get to go home at Christmas time for a week, um, so she did that and then came back. And about seven or eight weeks later, um, we all kind of serve and we help in there. She was in helping cook dinner, uh, making some meatloaf, and so making meatloaf, dealing with the raw meat, and all of a sudden she's doing that, and just the fumes from this from the meat, like just overwhelmed her and made her feel nauseous and she vomited and that was when we found out that uh, during that Christmas break when she was gone for a week Nikki had gone back to an old toxic ex-boyfriend and she was now pregnant and this place is not a place that we were equipped to handle having a baby we weren't equipped to like even deal with somebody through a pregnancy to help them with that Um, and so she had to go she had to leave and so a few mornings later, really quickly, um, it was early in the morning. I took her down. It was about an hour drive to the uh, to Sacramento Amtrak station. Um, it was dark. It was kind of gray, kind of pre-dawn before the, before the sun came out. And I uh, put her on that train, and it was one of the hardest things I had to do. So I remember looking at her through, this, through the window of the train and thinking, this is not right. I even said as I walked away, like, I should not have to do this. Um, she was in a place. She was easily led She could go any direction. She was a sheep, but she was surrounded by shepherds. And I was sending her out to a place where there was going to be no shepherds in her life, and she was going to have a kid. And I just felt like the sins of her father were being passed on to the daughter and now to a son, that this cycle was going to continue, that it had a chance while she was there to be broken, and that... It was not going to be broken, that all the I had hoped for her and dreamed for was not going to happen, that um, she was in the right place for her, and that was all ripped away and undone, um, and I was so frustrated about this. I was so angry. I drove back to the residential place, and what I did was, uh, we place we are at, it's rural, it's on kind of in a valley on one side of it, uh, so uh, I walked out and I went on kind of a dirt road, and there's a view of really half the sky, you can see from there. And I brought my journal and I was perplexed and I was wanting to despair and I said, I'm going to write down all the reasons I have to despair, why this world is so messed up and all the things that are are wrong with it. And I stomped around on that road and I was crying and sobbing and clenching my fists in anger and I would sit down and I would write and you know what happened? I tried to write about the reasons I had to despair and I couldn't. And instead, I started thinking about the martyrs. Started thinking about Jim Elliott, if you know his story, where his first contact with the people that he went who did not know Christ, who had never heard of Christ, he was going there, dedicating his entire life to reach them. And on his first contact, he was killed by them. And I thought of, like, I'd heard before about looking, thinking about the system, but I put myself in that place and what would it feel like to be him as the spears are coming in and as, the, as he's being beat by clubs and knowing that this is not going to happen, what he was hoping for. Like, this is it. This is the end. How would that feel, that discouragement, that end? And I thought he, in that moment, could not see, could not know that what it would end up happening is through his death, his wife would go back to that tribe. His wife would go to his murderers and they would all turn to Christ. And from that story, thousands of people know about him. It's a famous story. Thousands of people have chosen to go into missions because of him, because of his life, his, his untimely death. I think the same thing with Stephen, where Stephen was having stones thrown at him. He was dying. And he cannot know that one of his murderers, Saul, was going to come to the Lord, was going to lead this church in Philippi. These are the first believers in Europe that he's going to lead them to Christ, that he's going to disciple them, that he's going to write a letter to them to encourage them. And 2,000 years later, we're still going to be writing this letter and be encouraged by that. Stephen can't know any of that. All he knows is he's dying for Christ. And I thought of the martyrs and how their service unto death, how they, they don't know the future, they don't know what's going to happen, and yet they persevered, they endured and I thought of Nikki, and I thought of, and I realized that I was not responsible for her. I am not the Messiah. I know John actually talked some about this last week. Of, It was not my job to take her and ensure that she was conformed into the image of Christ. And I would not even know what was going to happen next in her life. But God could raise up others. He was not done with her. He could raise up others to reach her at various points in her life. It was not all going to be me. And I don't think we always know what will happen. I don't think we always know what will come next. Um,
0: and while I was there,
1: I was writing these things down. I actually wrote about martyrs in my journal there at the time. Um, and one other thing happened. As I was stomping around and sobbing, I would clench my fists. In anger, how messed up this world was. And every time I did that, as I looked up in the sky, there was this double rainbow that appeared. And it just, the more angry I got, it kept getting brighter and brighter and brighter in the sky. And even then I knew, like, I'm at my worst. I'm the most wanting to despair right now. But I'm not yet immune to beauty. Um, God was comforting me through that. He knew that he cared about me and how I was doing. And I was perplexed. I did not know the future, but he was not going to let me despair. So today, brothers and sisters, know that it will be discouraging. It will be hard. You will feel like things have failed, but God's kingdom will come. His will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever you see, this is not the end. You can trust that enduring through it, That God does have a plan that he is working out. That you may not see anything more. You may die. You may be a martyr. But someone else God will raise up to pick up the pieces and bring about, carve out some more redemption in this world. And that will continue. Your story may not even continue. Or you may not know someone else's story. But God's work and his overarching story will continue. So as you hear that, you might say, that's great. That sounds amazing. I do want to go. I do want to disciple people. I want to be involved in intentional relationship in people's lives where, I am, where our relationship is centered on Jesus. But here's the thing. I would do that, but I'm not ready yet. I'm too immature. I'm, I haven't grown enough. I'm not to that point where I could mentor someone else or maybe I just sin too much. Um, I'm, I haven't fixed everything in my life yet to be able to do that. And I think that's a valid thing for us to think. I think that's normal, uh, but I don't think that's a reason to hold back. I wanna I wanna share to you, with you another story about a time I was in Bangladesh and something I saw there. And I'm hoping that this will help you help you understand that this is not a reason. This is not a reason to be held back. Um, I went to Bangladesh. I was there with Food for the Hungry. What they do is their goal is to meet both physical and spiritual needs. And they do that through, really, it's through these groups that are basically a formalized discipleship group. So uh, there are people, they call them facilitators, that go and meet with a group of poor people. Um, They will not give them anything. They do not loan them any money. But they do teach them basic literacy and counting so they can save their own money. So each week they'll save out, they'll Out of their rice, maybe take one handful back and set it aside, and then they'll save ten tacos, about six cents. And each of them will turn it in at their group meeting to a group cashier from their group, who they save up the money, and then they're able to make loans to one another in the group to start up small micro-enterprise businesses and be able to have a better income, a better, like, improving their life through that. Um, These facilitators in the groups, they also teach them biblical values. So they come in, um, and they'll teach them various principles, various things that we learn through the Bible. Um, and this is central to their, their ability to grow. You can't start a savings group in a country that is so completely corrupt that um, the expected system is one of bribes and taking some off the top. Um, that's not going to work without um, learning biblical values as well. Like This is core to what happens there. Um, it's a country that anger is more commonplace. Now there's a whole system of um, when two people get at it, maybe... You bump cars, like, get out, and both of you are saying that you're screaming at each other in each other's faces, but you both have kind of a retainer that's their job as the friend that kind of pulls you back and sort of uh, keeps it from going to. So there's a whole system, but anger is commonplace in that country. Hearing that God is slow to anger and that you are made in his image, I saw a nine-day difference in people's lives. Like, this was huge as these things were taught to them. Um, That completely changed how they interacted with one another. Um, so I, I got to go into a more rural part of Bangladesh to, to view some groups that they had out there to visit them. Um, it was an area called Bagra. Now, when I say rural, Bangladesh is the most uh, densely populated country in the world. So there were still people everywhere, but it was the country. Um, we, would, we rode the last spin on a flatbed tricycle, and then when this path got too narrow, we got off and we started walking. And it was this narrow trail with water on both sides. Sometimes it'd be rice paddies. Other times it'd be... Uh, Flooding from the monsoon season, but there was, there was water as we went down this narrow path, and we kept walking and walking, and there was three of us walking together, and as we went into this district of, I think the entire area of Bagra is 2.3 million, but this is a district of 300,000, we doubled the Christian population in that area. So there was one family of three people that were Christians in the, in the whole area, and we met them. One of them was a facilitator there who was working with these groups. Um, so we went along the path, we got to a place where it kind of opened up a little bit, into a larger area, and there were some trees and some mud huts there. And then there were other paths you could see going off other directions through the waters um, leading towards other villages. And we went to one of these mud huts, and there was kind of a porch area. And we, by then, I was kind of like the Pied Piper. There was 10 to 30 children that were following me that were kind of interested, like, what's this really tall white guy doing here? Everybody came up to about here on me. Um, so we went in and uh, sat down on this front porch cross-legged. or some mats set out. And I sat down, and the facilitator sat next to me, and then uh, this was a women's group. The women began to come in to join and sit in an oval, and the first one sat as far away from me as they could, and then once those spots were taken up, uh, the rest still crammed in between them, so it was a very lopsided circle that we were sitting in here. Um, And then I just listened as they had their meeting, Um, and... The facilitator shared with them their lesson that day on biblical values. They, uh, they each began to take in money. They discussed an agenda that they had, I believe. They discussed loaning a 100 taka. I think that's about, in our money, would be about $1.50, but it certainly would go a lot further there to a family not in their group who was going through a crisis. And it was going to be payable back in one month's time, but they weren't going to charge any interest. Um, and then they considered loaning 20,000 taka to somebody else to buy some agricultural land, and that would be repaid after the first harvest. Um, after the meeting, they proudly took me to their homes and showed me the different businesses they had started up. Uh, one showed me that she had started up a little sweet shop in her, in her house, and she had her one tin of cookies she showed me that was in there and then a couple other items that were available for sale. Uh, somebody else, I got to feel the net that uh, her husband was... Uh, Fishing net maker now that they had given, provided, loaned him funds to be able to start this business. So I got to feel the nets that were being made here. Another person had been able to, in her pond, start up um, uh, a fish farming business and gotten some training in how to do that and kind of start up from that money. And so I got to see that. Um, I got to pet the cow of somebody not in their group that they had actually loaned money to 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 purchase a cow. And on the sale of that cow later on, uh, they would get 50% of the proceeds. So they, they were very invested in their surrounding community. It wasn't going to be just uh, just their own group. And it was very impressive to see what was going on with these people um, and what, what was happening in, in their lives. Um, I also got to visit the home of the facilitator, kind of a normal one-room home. Um, and on his wall, he had up the six, he pasted so on a piece of paper, the six biblical values that they were currently working on and teaching. He really wanted to know them to learn them. He wanted to be reminded of them so he could be practicing them in his life. Um and I was I admired his dedication, his focus, as long as he was he would go to a group in the morning and then he'd have a group in the afternoon. And some of them would have a group in the night. Those were in the evening was typically a men's group if they were out working in fields during the day. Um, But he wanted to know these these things. So he was studying and remembering. Do you know what when I when I listened to him giving the lesson, it was basically verbatim what he had been taught when he had come in about once a year into the capital city and been taught a training there on biblical values and he was going back out and word for word verbatim repeating what he had learned to these groups and that was it he didn't have anything else to share with them any he any other insights from it there was no church in the entire area where he could be plugged in where he could be discipled where he could be grown Incredible work was being done through this person. Um, incredible work was being done through all the groups in the area. This group was one of about uh, 60 different groups that all of them together were giving each person one taco. a week into kind of a sort of benevolence fund to help people with crisis needs in their surrounding area. So somebody recently who had had acute appendicitis, they had given money for that the health situation. Um, when there is no health care system in the area, they were providing that for their neighbors. Um, so what was happening was incredible. These we the, it's a poor country to start with, but these were the poorest people in the area, and yet their lives are being transformed. But the person who was investing in them, who was discipling them, knew almost nothing, was just barely beyond them, and had no way of further growth, of further discipleship, of further mentoring, nobody to pour into his life. And as I think of that story, and I look at each of us, I want all of us to know that the person here that is the weakest, the most immature, we are light years beyond so much of the world and God will use whoever he can in whatever way. And even if you don't believe that's true of yourself, that no, I, you can say way beyond, but I, what do I have to give? Here's the thing. You may not be this amazing Mother Teresa Christian that everybody looks up to, that everybody has wants to learn insights from, but there is somebody who is at a point in life that is going through something that you have something to offer. I cannot tell you about raising teenagers. That's not where I'm at. If you need insights of how Jesus would want to parent your kids and you have teenagers, I'm, I'm the wrong person to turn to. But you know what? My kids, they're in the elementary school age. The first one's headed into middle school next year. And if you need some insights on preschoolers, like, that is something that's more at my level that I can, I can share that I have some insights out from because I've walked that path. And each of you has something in your life, something that you've experienced, that you've gone through, that you are able to pass on to others, um, that you can be in a relationship with somebody else and you'll have ways to input and give into their life. Um, so there is no, I am not there, I'm not mature enough, I'm not ready yet. Um, there's something that you can give. And you know, what you give will change as you go through life. It'll be different, but you, you do have the ability to, to be used now by God in the lives of others. Now, just as an aside, some of you might be thinking, you know, I this sounds amazing and I wish I had that. I have never experienced that. I have never been discipled in that way. I have never been mentored like that. Um, I have, and I have been so grateful for that. But if this is not your experience, then I encourage you go and make it happen think of somebody who has given something in your life and come up to them just tell them even like hey we're talking about discipleship in church and you know what i could really use i'm realizing i haven't had a lot of them in my life i could use somebody giving input would you be okay with getting together and meeting and talking about life and talking about jesus and seeing where that leads ask someone somebody that you trust if there's not somebody in your life who has done some input that way then uh think about the other people in this church think about the people that are in this room um Find someone here that you trust, that you feel you could go and you could talk to and you could share what's going on in your life and that you could allow them to pray for you and to listen to you, to be engaged with you in that way. And, and seek them out. If you have not had that or if you don't have that right now in your life, initiate it. Be the one who starts that up. Um, it's okay to have not experienced this. Um, but be intentional about making that happen. Because... What Paul paints in this picture, in this passage of the joy, the delight, the wonder of this, of this uh, discipleship, it totally is worth it. That really is true. Um, one of the reasons this is worth it, this is worth it because of the fruit that happens that, in people's lives. The clearest picture of that for me is my own life. Um, I can tell you without a doubt that who I am today is completely different than what it would be because of a guy named John Mills who invested in me for about six years of my life. Um, Those were my teenage years. And I want to tell you guys a little bit about what that looked like. Um, My family growing up, pretty idyllic family. We even won family of the year at the fair one year. Um, I thought that things were okay in my life and going along. and then So it was a very big shock when... One day my dad up and disappeared for a bit and then ended up divorcing my mom. And it was not an easy divorce. It was definitely very painful, definitely fighting over everything, definitely kids in the middle, being uh, having to deal with that and being pulled each direction and being really used as pawns. It was not pretty. But during that time, um, this guy, John Mills, he, he started meeting with me. We didn't have a formal relationship. It wasn't, let's go sit down and I'm going to disciple you. Uh, But that's exactly what it was, even though it wasn't formalized. Uh, He would meet with me, pick me up, take me to probably the equivalent of a coffee shop for a teenager. We'd go to a fast food place, Carl's Jr., some place like that, eat a burger. He always asked me, when was the last time you cried? And when we first met it was a couple hours ago and eventually it was yesterday and finally it was a couple days and got to like, oh it's been a whole week or it's been two weeks and um, he did this with me off and on regularly for for six years Um, it wasn't just though that that stereotypical sitting down and uh, talking about life he he did a lot of things with me. I remember one of the first uh, actually my first ride on a motorcycle was when he picked me up one day with his motorcycle and had an extra helmet there and um, explained to me before a few pointers before I got on. I said, okay, so we're going, the bike's going to lean. I don't want you to lean farther or lean less, but you just stick with the bike however it leans and we'll go like that. You'll hold on to me. Um, and we're going to move like that. Um, gave me the helmet, talked to me about what to do when it came to a stop sign. Like I would just keep my feet on the pegs and leave it to him to pull us upright. Um, so I climbed on the back, put on the helmet, got my arms around him. Um, started growing and what he couldn't see was this just big goofy grin on my face the whole time as we're going down. I loved it. It was so much fun. Um, just feeling the wind in my face and being being able to go and do this with him. Um, I eventually, my dad actually, got me a beat up old dirt bike. Um, kind of a something that hopefully we could do together. Um, but John Mills took me on several rides. He uh, He's actually the one that there was this ride. The biggest one that we went on was to Black Rock Desert in Nevada, and he organized a ride that was a father-son ride for about 80 guys who went on it. Um, and every kid that came had to have an adult that was responsible for them if they didn't have a dad. Um, but, so somebody had to be there. It couldn't just be kids showing up. Um, and he invited me. He chose to let me be the person that was going to come with him um, and that he would be watching out for and connecting with. And it was so much fun. It was a great time, certainly, of connecting with uh, friends. But uh, there was a speaker there that we had. There was, it was me being surrounded by godly men in my life. Something that I had not had as much of through this time of the divorce. It was there was a hot tub or a hot spring, a natural hot springs. There we could go soak in afterwards. Um, and he just spent time with me. He just engaged with me. Did live talked. And I couldn't tell you today really probably any one thing that he said to me. I know that there was lots and lots of talking, but um, there wasn't like this one insight that we had. Sometimes it was we sat and talked. Other times, like he he's the one that if my car had trouble, he would take me and work on it t- together. Um, he's actually the one. There was things in my life that were missing from not having a dad that was there that um, one of them would be, Uh, He realized one day that I had no clue how an engine worked, and he sat me down, started drawing a little diagram, talked to me about pistons, what happened, was explaining this to me. Um, There's pieces, there's gaps in my life, things that um, I I didn't experience, I didn't have shared with me, that he stepped in and he did that for me. Um, I never thought that he was my dad or even that he was trying to fulfill that role, but really, he was being a father to the fatherless. Um, my dad is still my dad. I still love him. We still have a relationship. But there were ways that John stepped up and supported me through this time of my life um, that made a complete difference of the trajectory that my life was on. I was a kid that was struggling, that was dealing with some rough stuff that was happening to me, that was being hurt. And he supported me in that. And there is there is change, there's transformation that happens because of that. And it is so worth the disappointment, the frustration, the failure, the watching some walk away, watching some backslide, taking three steps back for one step forward. It's so worth dealing with that because of the fruit. And it's so worth dealing with all of that for the joy too. In this passage, we see that joy again and again, Paul says the joy that he has in the growth and the maturity of the saints in Philippi. He's so excited about, about what's going on in their, in their lives. Um, I have experienced this as well. There was, uh, at that residential place where I worked, uh, I remember there was one day, actually, we, uh, we had a day of silence. So we were being silent throughout the whole day. And there was a kid there, James, that He actually broke his silence in the middle of the day for one reason and that was to cuss me out and he was standing there screaming at me and I was still being silent just listening to it and the whole time he was laughing the whole time he was screaming at me I just kept thinking like how beautiful his eyes looked flashing in the sunlight with this anger that he had of just um, I wasn't angry back at him I wasn't overwhelmed or upset at him Um, that was a tough moment in his life but there was still joy in that and over the course of about a nine month period, his life just completely did a 180 and flipped. And I got to, a uh, few months after that, take him, and the two of us walked down to this scuzzy, gross pond, and I got to, dis- I got to baptize him. And it was, it was somebody who I had walked with day in and day out for about a nine month period that I then got to baptize. And let me tell you, the joy of that, of being able to celebrate the change in this life, was incredible. Um, it was a night and day, like it, new people coming to that place, they could not think of him as somebody who had had problems before. He didn't look like that. He didn't seem like somebody who had any issues. He, he was completely flipped from the person he had been before, and there was so much joy in seeing that. It was so worth the being screamed at. It was so worth the, the struggles and the exhaustion and the hard times with him to be able to, to see that, to have that joy of watching his life be transformed. And you know something else? Another reason it's worth it is because it's through discipleship, it's in discipling others that we are changed. So in this passage, Paul tells them he wants their growth, but he doesn't simply tell them to be good. He tells them to serve others. At the beginning of uh, chapter 2, he says... In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Like his goal for them in their growth is to serve. And that's what Paul was doing. He was in prison because he chose to serve these people. He would, if he had not gone and desired their transformation, he would never have been arrested. He was facing death because of that, but it was worth it to him. And Paul also, he would, as he reflected on whether he was going to die or live, he said, you know what? If I die, I get to be with Jesus. That's actually probably better. I think that's the one that I desire. That's the one that I want. But you know what he did? He set aside his wants. He said, it's more important for me to serve these people, so it's more important for me to live. I think that what God wants for me is to be alive because what he wants is for me to serve you. And Paul You know, something that I've seen in my life is that when I'm so busy serving others, all of the sin that's been going on, the things that have been going on in my life, if I I no longer fixate on those, they just sort of fade into the background. They no longer become this big thing where I'm trying not to sin, I'm trying not to sin, I'm trying to do what's right here. Instead, it just sort of goes away. When I was in college, it was... Pride was something that I really stumbled with. Of Like I would really wrestle with in the situation. Why am I saying this? Why am I doing this? Is this out of love versus out of pride? And when I worked at this residential place, like, there was a point where suddenly I looked back and went, pride is not an issue in my life right now. That's not the thing that I deal with. But it wasn't because I focused on like, I want to not be proud. I want to not be proud. What it was was I was so concerned, so focused on the growth of these others and wanting them to do good that... I didn't even think about that. I didn't care about that. That wasn't, that didn't matter. That was not a thing in my life. And you know, James, that kid that I talked about before, he, um, I was in a dorm room with him at night. We would spend the night together in there. And there was, uh, for a while, there was two other, two other kids also in kind of 16, 19 age range. And pretty quickly, what I started to do, what I learned to do was to, to not help them with their problems and instead let James talk to them. And he would. And he would wrestle through it. And I would hold back and I would not give input. And really, so much of his growth and his transformation was through him trying to help other kids who were struggling and going through the very same things that he had been. And then afterwards, when I was meeting him, we'd talk about what, what was amazing and what he had shared and what, was, what hadn't worked and how to do that better. And we would, uh, we would bounce that back and forth. But his growth, in large part, happened as he began to serve others in this place. I think that's how God works in our lives. I don't think that he wants us just to try to do better. I don't think he wants us to try to stop sinning. I think he wants us to seek the good and the welfare of others and desire for them to grow in Christ. And in so doing, our own lives are transformed as well. So let's, let's do this. whatever's been holding you back. If there are other things that I haven't mentioned, think about that. Uh, When you guys are meeting together as groups, when you're talking with one another, bring up, you know, I don't think it's any of those things that Michael said on Sunday. I think it's other stuff that was holding me back and here's what it is. Share that with one another. Um, Process that, work through that and then step up, step out. And I want to end by giving you some ideas of what that can look like. What that stepping out, what that being like Paul was to the Philippians, what that can look like. And here's what I don't want to have happen. I don't want this to be one more thing that you have to add into your life that's onerous, that's difficult, that your life is busy and chaotic and exhausting. And I don't want this to be, all right, we learned about one more piece of the Christian life that we're supposed to do, and I'll try. I'll try to add that in. Um, this does not need to be a formalized relationship with somebody. It can be. Um, it does not need to be taking time out of your schedule and going to a coffee shop and sitting with somebody and saying, let's talk about life. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about God's word. Um, that can happen. But what I encourage you to do is to think about the relationships that you already have in your lives and how you can make those more intentional, how you can make those discipleship, um, where you're seeking the good of this other person instead of just sort of going through life with them. Um, For me, the easiest one is, I'm a parent. And too often my parenting is correcting them when they're doing something wrong and trying to get them to do the chores so our house is in a disaster. And the rest of the time, as long as they're not fighting, they can just go play and do their own thing. Um, That is not very intentional. That is not me seeking to um, help them think through what just happened with their brother or their sister to what it would look like to reconcile with that person, why that made them so upset. If Jesus was living their life, how he would respond differently, how they can do that better next time. Um, It's not inputting and investing in them, but that can happen. The reality is too often that doesn't happen because I'm too distracted and I'm too busy. Um, And that distraction uh, often looks like this. This is not a phone. This is a a time-sucking device that takes away my time. Um, Even when people come over where I'm excited to spend time with them, too often what that looks like is uh, distractions on phones. If, If that is you, I encourage you, Put a basket by your front door when you're inviting people over. Tell them in advance, like, hey, we have this basket and the phones are going to go in it while we're here because we want to be intentional about a relationship with one another while we're here. I think you'll be surprised how many people are not only willing to do that but are excited to do that, that this is something that they are craving as well. If, uh, um, if you're, for me, my normal life, uh, when things are in normal times, not times like this, my kids have a lot of different things they're involved in. And I spend a lot of my time going to soccer practices, basketball practices. I go to uh, ballet practices. And it's, it's terrible. It's a waste of my time. I hate sitting there for ages and ages. Um, I often spend it sitting on my phone wasting that time. Um, that, you know something though, there's always other parents there doing the same thing as me. That is an easy time where I'm not trying to add something else in my schedule that I can find these people and say, you know what? I hate this time, you guys, you wanna come with me? i want to go grab a coffee. Or maybe it's like just sitting next to them and asking them like, how's your last week been? And it might be awkward at first because typically the people that we're thrown together on a team with are not the people that I know as well. But over time, over the, the two practices a week for months, that's plenty of time to get to know someone, to have input into their life, to hear what things are going on in their life. If I spend that time intentionally Another way to do this is something that my wife and I have talked a lot about. I mentioned my daughter is going into middle school, and uh, that means we're right on the cusp of this period where it's no longer about play dates and parents arranging things, and it's kids having friends that they are going to be initiating these times together. And what we have desired to be, and I hope comes about is we wanna be hospitable. We wanna be the house that the kids in the neighborhood feel safe to come over and just hang out. and that is a way that um, not only will we know what's going on with our kids, but it's a chance for us to be invested in their lives, um, not even through any intentional like, hey guys, we're going to have this, uh, this relationship, this thing that we're going to do together, this program. It's not something like that. It's just they're sitting there and they feel safe. And in those kinds of times, uh, that support, that, that safe place can be meaningful in someone's life. There was... Uh, the guy when I was growing up who did that, his name was Jim Mills. He was actually the brother of John Mills who I was talking about. And his house always had other kids in it. Um, he he was actually the campus crusade uh, leader in the area. But beyond their actual meetings and things they put up, he just had an open door. And he had people in his house. And it was all the kids who had no family lives on their own. They would just hang out there. And you know what, he actually, he took a job as a school bus driver so he could get to know those kids and invite them over. Uh, like that was the actual intention behind his job choice. Um, I'm not calling you guys to go be a school bus driver, although I did last week pass the sign and said they're hiring. So if you feel <laughs> called by that to do that, that is available. Similarly, I'm not calling you to give up everything in your life and move to Bangladesh. Although if God is calling you for that, listen to what God is saying there. What I am asking of you is think of the relationships you already have and ways that you can make those more intentional in how you live, in how you spend that time. Uh, Maybe it's just hearing what's going on in somebody's life. Maybe it's directing them more towards the Lord. Uh, As I think of what John Mills did with me, he invited me into his life and the things that he was involved in. Uh, There are things that you're doing that are fun for me. We will go out hiking it would be easy to grab another kid and invite them along. Somebody who doesn't have the same opportunities. It would be easy if you're going going for a walk through the neighborhood to find a neighbor who wants to go for a walk as well. I'm not saying add something new in your life. I'm saying find the things you're already doing and invite other people into those things. Um, Paul, in this passage that we read, he tells the Philippians that he is sending Epaphroditus to them so that uh, they can hear how Epaphroditus is doing and hear how Paul's doing and they can rejoice over that and be relieved that he's not just discouraged and overwhelmed by being in prison. And then he also tells them, I'm going to send Timothy to you soon so that Timothy can uh, give me a report and tell me how you guys are doing so that I can have joy and be delighted in how you're doing. Uh, that, uh, we have it easier than Paul did. We don't have to send someone to hear because we can pick up the phone. Um, even now, when we're more isolated than normal, uh, if there's someone you know that you have lost touch with through the last four or five months here, pick up the phone, call them, check in with them, see how they're doing, ask them what's going on with this, with your life through isolation. How are you, how are you surviving? What support are you getting? What have been your highs during this time? What have been your lows? If there's somebody you know, well, ask them if you can pray for them. Um, check in with one another. Uh, find people that you can... That you can do that with and be intentional about that with your time. It's it might be harder. I can't there's no sports going on right now. I can't go and seek someone out doing that, but I can call up a buddy and see how they're doing in their life. So why all this focus on discipleship? Discipleship, being a disciple is just another word for being a Christian, right? Um it is but discipleship emphasizes the relational aspect of it, that this is a relationship that's founded on Jesus. And I encourage you not to, not to wait and hope that that sort of semi-happens in your life. But think about the longing and the joy that Paul had for these saints that he was discipling and choose to engage with those around you. And know that it will be discouraging it will be painful there will be people who fail who walk away and that will hurt but there will also be joy you will have the same joy that paul talks about here it will be that deep. your delight your longing will be for the growth and the change and the transformation of someone else's life